All right, Mark chapter 15, we're down to verse 35 now. We spent last time looking in verse 34, uh, the issue here of the uh, sin offering and, and the different issues there with uh, the five offerings in Leviticus uh, as they match up with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, the issue here, and what brought that up was in verse 34, the Eloi, Eloi, the O, that's the Aramaic, uh, and it's the my God. Then in Matthew, it's Eli, E-L-I. That's the Hebrew, and that's the my powerful, my mighty God. And again, that gets to the depiction, the portrait that Mark is painting, the servant. Here's the one who, my God, my God. Here's the one who commands and gives the directions, where Matthew, depicting the Lord as king, Here's the authority. Here's the, here's the head of the government, the king. Then, by the way, Luke does the peace offering. <coughs> Excuse me. John does the burnt offering and the meal offering. The burnt and the meal offerings are usually together. They don't, they don't separate them out. Even though they're listed separate in Leviticus, they usually are carried together. So, again, the issue here in Mark, starting now in verse 35 and following, is Mark is, again, here's the point, boom, he's on it and he moves. And what's happening here in that third hour, in verse 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. The Lord has just, he's literally suffered in his soul out humanity's second death, the spiritual death. He's suffered it. Now he's going to go, now he, he suffered in his soul that, that transformation of what uh, Revelation and the Scripture calls the second death. If you look down at verse 37, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. There's the physical death. So you've got, he dies spiritually for humanity. I'm going to sneeze. Excuse me. I learned how to sneeze from my dad. If you ever hear him sneeze, you know why. He'll shake the foundation. Anyway, he dies spiritually for humanity. He suffers the second death, the death of, of, of your soul. And then he dies physically, and he does the physical death so that we can have a physical resurrection. And we have to have that. Verse 35, and some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he called Elias, and one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him the drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. So the folks at the cross, Israel, that's Israel here. We're going to get down in a, in a minute. We'll see the ladies in verse 40 and 41. That's the believing remnant, folks, the, the nation is in a total apostasy. They think he's looking for, they think he's calling for Elijah. They, they misunderstand the Psalms. They misunderstand the quote. So they're doing this. Verse 37, Jesus cried with a loud voice, gave up the ghost, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. When he cried with a loud voice, that's a, that is a proclamation. He's pro, making a proclamation. Uh, he's very aware. He, he doesn't, John says that he bowed his head, gave up, bowed his head, gave up the ghost. It's, 
it, he's in full control of his faculties, everything. He doesn't bow his head until the end. He's very aware of what needs to be done, what needs to transpire, what scriptures need to be filled, that fulfilled. That's why he'll, it's not here in Mark. It's in the, uh, in, in, I think it's in John. He says, I thirst. That causes them to go get some vinegar, to give him drink so that Psalms can be fulfilled. He, uh, literally, he is worked through everything. Then he says, again, he, had he not said, into thy hands I commend my, okay, no one could have killed him because he's life. He's the author of life. But when he dies, the loud voice, that voice of authority, the voice of victory. And Mark's point here is no one took his life. He gave up the ghost. Five times the Apostle Paul says he gave himself for us. He gave himself. He gave himself. Galatians 2.20, who loved me and gave himself for me. So there's that he does, does this. The, the, the whole of it is that Christ gave himself. No one made him do it. No one took it from him. He gave himself. Even back in the garden when they come to get him, he turns himself over. He could, he, he's already demonstrated he had the power when he spoke, I am he, and they all knocked, he knocked them all down, and they all fell out. But So when Mark here, again, right to the point, and then he's moving on. Verse 38, And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the son of God. There was also women. Then in verse 40, 43, you've got Joseph of Arimathea. You've got Pilate. He just boom, 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 boom. And the reason for that is because Mark is demonstrating him as the sin offering. In the sin offering, it's done we move on, okay? The, it's paid, we move. The trespass offering, last time we were, last, when we went over it last time, there's, a, there's, yeah, we do this, but then there's also restitution, the shekel of the sanctuary, that has to be, so sin offering's paying for the nature, boom, it's done. Trespass is paying for the sins, the activity. So there's some more to that. Uh, so, we're not going to run through it. We're going to spend the hour going through it. Verse 38, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Now, it's very important to sketch the issue of the veil here. Come back to Matthew 27. Okay, in Matthew 27, the same passage here, Matthew adds some things to it. Matthew 27 Verse 50, Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves. Now, by the way, these next three words is key to understanding this. After his resurrection... And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. They don't come out of the graves until after he's risen. Otherwise, he's not the firstborn from, uh, from the dead, see. 
And what happens is, is preachers get in there and they get all this spiritualism and they miss those three words after his resurrection, so don't you miss it, okay? When we studied Matthew, we, we looked at that and so forth. Matthew adds some information. He, he, he adds the, the issue of the earthquake and the graves and so forth. Verse 54, now when the centurion had, uh, and they that were with him. See, in Mark, it's just a centurion, but there's a group of them there. So Matthew adds all of this information because in the event, Matthew is, is, is depicting that there's more to happen than just his death. There's the restitution part of it. There's more going on over here where Mark, the servant, when the work's done, what do we do? We don't sit back and recount what we did. We move on to the next job. See? So in 1538, go back there to Mark 1538, there's an issue here about understanding the issue here of this veil. And again, Mark is... He's moving the centurion, the wimp, the veil, the women, the centurion, the women, and then Pilate, and then boom, boom, boom. I mean, he's just trucking right along, and you can't miss the import that's happening here. So the veil, by the way, verse 38, and the veil of the temple was rent twain from top to bottom, not bottom to top. Great trivia question. Which way was the was the rent the, the veil rent in after the at the crucifixion? It's top to bottom. In other words, God does this. Man rip would have to rip from the bottom up. God ripped it. So when you think about the where we're at here um, in this veil, come back with me to Hebrews chapter number nine. Hebrews chapter number nine. The temple. There's. If I'm going to do this up here. When you think about the temple, the tabernacle, okay, there's three parts to it. All right, you've got the outer court, then you're going to have the inner court, and it's going to have two areas, and there's some entryway, okay? The Gentiles are out here. They are never allowed in here. The priests are in here, okay? You got Hebrews 9, right? 9 uh, verse 1. Then verily the first covenant, and that will be the Mosaic covenant, had also ordinances of divine service and, world, and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. You'll hear people say holy place. That is not a biblical term. Okay? <laughs> You'll hear them say the most holy. That's not. That's theological. Theologians use that. What's it called? The holiest of all. Um, Schofield's got a note. Holy of holies. That's where that stuff gets picked up. There's not a verse that calls it that. It's the most holy, or it's the holiest of all. So when you think about what's happening here, here is the brazen altar right here. Here's the lava to wash it, the washing. Then you've got a veil inside the sanctuary. You've got the showbread. You've got the candlesticks. And then you've got the, the incense, right? 
this is the outer court. This is the sanctuary. Okay? The priests work. Well, we'll just do it here. The priests work here and in here. One time a year, the high priest comes in here, and that's the Ark of the Covenant and with the cherubs and the presence of God and everything. Okay? So just kind of think about that. Verse 2, verse 3, after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, that's number 17, and the tables of the, of the covenant, that's uh, Exodus 34 and so forth, and the cherubims, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot speak particular. So what's happening here is you, this is the tabernacle. Also, by the way, this is the temple. Solomon builds. It looks just like this. All right? Now, what will end up happening with Solomon is then there becomes that court for the Gentiles. Then you got a court for the women, and you got all this extra stuff. But the tabernacle, the temple, the tabernacle given to Moses is right here. Now, come back to Exodus 25. And the first veil is this. That's a veil, and that's a veil. Second and first. Okay? It will be the second one, and we're going to get to that in, ju in just a, a couple minutes, I hope. Exodus 25. Exodus 25, God gives Moses the pattern, okay, for all, all of the making of it, all of the material, all of the, the you know, you, if you look there at verse 10, Exodus 25, 10, and they shall make an ark of the shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half, the breadth thereof and a cubit and a half, the height thereof, and they're going to interlay it, and they're going to do all of that. Verse 21 Thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark shalt thou put the testimony that I shall give thee, and there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubs, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in the commandment unto the children of Israel. So he's so God's gonna meet them here at that on that ark of the covenant. And it's back here. In, in uh, not the holy place, but the holiest of all, okay? Now, look back up at verse, verse 8, 25, 8. And let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. See, God's purpose was to meet with them. His purpose was to manifest his personal presence with Israel. Before Israel, he was going to meet them there. He's going to dwell among them. And it's, the place is in the tabernacle. Now, you, don't, you can't limit God because God's God. But he has chosen to limit himself. And he chose to manifest himself here in, in that holiest of all place there. He chose to do that. He chose to manifest the glory of who he is in a very specific location and with a very specific people. 
and it's all separated by the veil, by the curtain, if you will. Okay? Now come over to chapter 40 of Exodus. So the veil is what's protecting them from the presence of the Lord, the presence of God. Exodus 40 and verse 34. Exodus 40 and verse 34. In our men's fellowship, we're looking at the deity uh, of the Lord, and this verse is coming in our study coming. We were going to do it last month, and we got talking about other things. Verse 34, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The filling, the glory back here, fills this up. There's a doorway in. One time a year, the Holy Priest... The high priest goes in, he's got to have blood with him, puts the blood on there. When God looks down, he sees the blood. The blood covers the broken commandments. It covers everything. So the blood gets, now back here, the altar, that's the brazen altar. So a Jew would come up, an honest man, those offerings last 24-7. The priest would be here, do it, comes in, boom, puts the blood in the incense, and Let's it be, see? There's this continual flow here all the time, 24-7. There's not a day off. Could you imagine the bloody mess, that, the ram? Well, they don't have the ram. So now it's all the way down to the pigeons and the turtle doves. You know, it's like just the constant flow, no day off, no rest. Come over to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles. But what's filled there is the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Second Chronicles. So in Second Chronicles, we have the information here. David wanted to build the Lord a home, a permanent home. He said, David, you're a bloody man. You can't, you can't build my permanent home with bloody hands. Your son Solomon's going to do it. You lay in the provisions. Here's the blueprint. You get it all ready. But Solomon is going to build it. Okay, now Moses, this is Moses. Moses, it's a tent. It's a tabernacle. It's a temporary thing. We can pick it up and move it. That's why he had all the rings and all the poles and everything. Get up and move it. Get up and move it. That's why this stuff is made out of, uh, out of animal skin, folded, very pliable. We can move this. Okay, by the way, just something to think about when Israel camped okay and then they set up their camp they're wandering in the wilderness they set up they would set the tabernacle in the middle and then they would go off of it okay here's the tabernacle this is Judah Benjamin uh, not Dan uh Ephraim and Messiah, and this is, and when the Lord looked down, he saw he sees a cross. Very interesting when you draw it out, and then you look from above as he's looking down. Anyway, you work on that. Okay, Second Corinthians or Second Chronicles five. Okay, with so with Moses, with Moses, it's a temporary thing. Okay, oh Mo, you, you're going to move. But with Solomon, it's permanent. 
It isn't going to go anywhere. It isn't moving. We're in the, Israel is in the land. This is where it's going to be. So it's a permanent. Now, David is king. Solomon comes in, verse 13, 2 Chronicles 5, 13. By the way, John tells us it took him, what, 46 years to build it. Okay? 5.13, it came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. Think about that. Music, everybody's on, the, on tone, on tune, one. Same note. Not, not all this, you know, it's all one. <laughs> okay? Um, and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Then the house was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Note they're, they're in the tabernacle now. Now it's moved to the temple. So in the holiest of holy, of all of it, where the ark sits, now the, the glory is there. This is under Solomon. Now after Solomon, you have the Babylonian captivity, and Nebuchadnezzar destroys this temple, all right, and then carries off the goodly things and so forth. But, but before he did that, God had withdrawn his glory from it. He had moved it out. That's why it's God gave Jehoiakim over to Nebuchadnezzar. And that issue of, of, of God giving, come over to chapter 36 of 2 Chronicles. Because God's glory, he had moved. You see, God's title was the Lord God of heaven. Uh, 36, uh, verse 23, this is Cyrus. So a king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me. See that Lord God of heaven? He was no longer Lord God of all the earth, which is what he should have been. Okay? Now, actually, he's had a title change to where he is the Lord God of heaven. He's on exile in heaven. He's left. He should have been here in the temple, with Israel, in the earth, running things and doing, but they had, they, they had forsaken him. They had taken all of this and made it into a vain religion, see. And every time they went back in, they were supposed to be meeting. Could you imagine? Here you are, Caiaphas, the high priest, and you've been going back in every year when you're supposed to. On the Day of Atonement, you go in, and the glory of the Lord isn't there. He's gone. Because the nation is an apostasy. He has left. Ezekiel, you got the, the glory on the door, the glory in the door, and he, the glory's gone, see. You come through in, in Ezra. By the way, this is destroyed. In Ezra, they rebuild it. Ezra 6, they rebuild, Ezra and Nehemiah, they rebuild the temple. Then it's sacked again, and Herod actually is the one that gets it rebuilt again over there in, in the history of it. So, what, and again, the, the captivity, um, we were just talking about the minor prophets. Micah, look at Micah 3. 
That's Nahum, Rick. Micah 3. Micah 3. In verse 4, Micah 3, verse 4, here's their condition. Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves ill in their doing. Verse 7, the end of the verse, for there is no answer of God. You see, God's left them. He's, he's got Ichabod written them. They're not, they're not my people. The glory of the Lord's left them. So when they, again, they rebuild the temple, Herod, he's had it rebuilt again 20, and that's John 2. It took them 46 years to do it. If you come to John 2, John 2. But when they rebuilt the temple, God never moved back in because the nation is an apostasy. This is a vain religious system now. So the rendering of the veil is doing something here when he dies at Calvary. And again, it's important to see what's going on in the temple. John 2, uh, verse 13, 2, 13 and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. You see that Jews' Passover? Whose Passover was it originally? The Lord's Passover. It's not his anymore. The Jews' Passover. They've come in. The, it's now the Jews' religion. He tells them there in Matthew, the first time he's in, he cleans it all up. Second time in the temple, he's leaving. He says, you've made my house a den of thieves. You've desecrated it. You've, God isn't there anymore. He's not back here in the Holy of Holies, Holy of Alls. He's not. And again, man, for the chief high priest to go through all that, what a fake and a phony. Because he's got to go in. He doesn't see the glory of the Lord. He's supposed to be seeing the glory of the Lord. Then he's got to turn around and come back out and tell them, hey, we saw the glory of the Lord. Everything's good to go. You know, he's lying like liar, 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 pants on fire, you know. But the reason is, is because it had been, Israel was in apostasy. They're under that fifth course of judgment. And God isn't dwelling with them. His glory was redrawn. Now the Messiah is going to come back, Matthew 25. He comes back in all of his glory, the glory of his presence. He comes back, and then he's going to fill that temple back all up, the land of Israel, with that. But that's all second coming. So when you come back to Hebrews 9, there's some things going on here with that, that rent veil, Hebrews 9, where we started. That, that you have to catch here, um, that's permanent, permanent, sorry, all right? Look at Hebrews 9, and just notice here, verse 7. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year. That's how, by the way, that's how you know this is the second one, and that's the first one, okay? When David and them are on the run back in Kings, and they come to the temple and they eat the showbread. See, that's out here. He could function out here. David is one of the only men that held all three offices, prophet, priest, and king. 
Okay, he, he actually held prophet and king more than priest, but there's a couple places where he does do the priestly duties. No man was to hold that office. Saul tried it and he got him killed. See, David, man's God's man, could do it. Adam, God's man, could do it. But he's out here, second veil here, verse 7. He's going to go in alone once a year, but not without blood which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. Now watch. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Now that verse is a verse you have to pay attention to. It's not yet... The first tabernacle, this stuff is still standing, okay? The way in there wasn't manifested yet. By the way, it's not manifested until the Apostle Paul and the revelation given to Paul, okay? Verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present. The veil, you can't go into God's presence. It's not yet manifested how they're going to get into the presence of God. And all of this is a figure. It's a picture in which were offered both, both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So, which was a figure. When the veil is down, then you can do what? You can go in. The problem is, was that what was supposed to be done? What was supposed to be there when they go in, the glory? But the glory's not there. When the when they rent, when he rents the veil from top to bottom, what did it expose? He's not there. He's left. His glory. By the way, but his glory hadn't been there since for a long yeah, since Solomon's day. Okay. So what you have here, what the rent veil indicates is that God had done what he did to Christ. He forsaken his people. He sent, uh, he, he sent them into captivity. He had abandoned them. He, he had mo- removed his presence from them. And he, again, he, he says, my glory is gone. I'm out of here. You're Ichabod. You're not my people. You're not, I'm not there anymore. Now the Messiah, he's waiting for the Messiah to come to provide redemption so that he can come back now and be Lord over Lord, Lord God of all the earth with Israel, what he was supposed to be in the beginning. The problem is, he is it's gone. He's gone. It, not it. He's gone. So Calvary, the rending of the veil is important. Now, you're in Hebrews. Look at chapter 10 and look over at verse 16. Hebrews 10, because this is verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their heart, and in their minds will I write them, and and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. The sin offering's done it. It's taking care of it. This is the new covenant, by the way. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, how? By the blood of Jesus. 
by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his what? His flesh. It's interesting in John 2, when he says, I'm going to raise this temple up in three days, John 2, 20, he's talking about his body, the temple. So Calvary, when he gives up the ghost and there's a rending of the, the veil from top to bottom, the veil is representing the Lord Jesus Christ and him providing through his activity, through his shed blood, he's providing the way into it, okay? But this doesn't happen at Calvary because where are we in verse 16, 17, 18, 19? We're not at Calvary. We're going into the kingdom, see? We're over here at the second coming. Did you follow that? So there's a difference between at Calvary and by Calvary. Look at verse, look at verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, notice, by the blood of Jesus. Not at the cross or at the blood, but by the blood. This doesn't, they don't get access into the glory until the second coming and the establishment of the new covenant. Over here at Calvary, when Calvary takes place, where we're at in Mark 15, when that veil rends, they see an empty room with nothing in it but a Ark of the Covenant and the cherub and everything. They just see the furniture. There's no glory. There's no presence of God because of the apostate issue. You see, Paul's 1 Timothy 2. Look, let's look over there. 1 Timothy 2. Again, Hebrews 9. Okay. The Holy Ghost does signify that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. While the first tabernacle was yet. They don't understand. They, the way in to the Holy of Holies was never made, was not manifest. Now, they see the high priest do it every year. He meets the glory, boom. They don't understand why. They just know the law says to do it. So what do we do? We go do it, okay? What does Paul say, 1 first, uh, first Timothy 2? I was in 2 Timothy 2, so it wouldn't be there. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, here it is, to be testified in due time. You see, the law was not done away with at the cross. How do you know that? Well, go read Acts 8. Go read Acts 2. Where is Peter and the boys? They, they're in the temple. Acts 3, they're in the temple. Peter and John help the guy and heal the guy outside the temple. Acts 8, Philip and the Ethiopian. You know, talking about things pertaining about the cross, sure. But where was that? They, they're at, they're doing, they're at the temple. Actually, late in Acts uh, 22, you see James, zealous of the law. The law is still in play. So Cal, at Calvary doesn't stop anything. It's by Calvary that that law was nailed and taken care of. And that's what Paul... Come, again, you got to think, think down through this a little technical. Paul says, 
I'm the due time testifier right now with Paul. Now that way in is manifested, and it's by the blood of Christ. That's why Hebrews says it the way it says it. So Paul made known, hey, how, you, how Israel gets into here isn't at the cross, it's by the cross. Again, the law was still in place. Acts 2, Acts 3, uh, Acts 22, 12, Ananias is there, and, and that which is Acts 9 event, and he's doing what he normally does. He goes to the temple, okay? So it's, it's uh, I, I, I want, go, go back there to Acts. You got to read those. I'm sorry. And the reason it, this is, I think it's critical is because Paul shines lights in on this. Acts 21, Acts 21, uh, 20, 21-20, Paul meets up with James, verse 18, verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. So the law is still going as a, as a system, not as where God's working. He's left all that. Chapter 22 of Acts, verse 12, And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwell. That, this is Acts 9 event. My point is, is Paul, the, the law is still a system. It's still being used. It's just, it's going to be stopped one day, but not yet. Paul, the revelation given to Paul says, you know how Israel's getting into there? It's by the cross. So the veil being rent, he isn't saying, uh, uh, well, uh, by the way, the reason this is important and why, when it was manifested as key is back in 1 Corinthians 2. So here's Calvary at the cross and then by the cross. So at the cross, the veil is rent, but the way in isn't manifested yet. It's been kept, it's been hidden. And the reason is 1 Corinthians 2, 2, 7, and 8. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world under our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had Satan and them knew that the access point and how Israel was going to be ultimately taken care of was by the cross, he would, they wouldn't have crucified him. How do they know it now? Paul's revelation, okay? You follow that, I hope? Again, it's technical, and you kind of have to follow the bouncing ball, okay? But the rendering of the veil is important. That's why it's in all four Gospels, by the way. Now, come over to John 4. John 4. So the veil being rent, it isn't saying now the new covenant is in play. But rather, it, what it says to Israel is that you are, he's left. 
and you've been, you're following a vain religious system, and there isn't anything there. It's worthless. It's empty. It's vain. It's the Jews' religion. There's no glory there. God is not there. They're just ticking off. That's why he would tell the disciples, you know, the leaders, they sit in Moses' seat. You've got to go do what they say because they're there because Moses put them there. Just don't do it the way they're doing it. You know, they put that yoke on you and they don't put a yoke, you know, all, all that. There's a hierarchy because that's what the law said to do, but the doing of it isn't the same. Look at John 4. John 4. Uh, where to go? Verse um, 19. John 4, 19. The woman saith unto him, this is the uh, woman at the well, saith unto him, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So the Samaritans, they worship up north. They're supposed to be worshiping Jerusalem. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship. Isn't that interesting, the Father? When he's taken out of the way, the place that they're going to worship changes completely. Verse 21. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know that what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But when the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Where do they worship? Where's true worship for these folks? It isn't in the building. He's not there. Now it's where? In spirit and in truth. It's not in a vain religious system up there. Now it's in the truth in the moment. So in Mark 15, the point in Mark 15 about the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The point there is the veil here, it, it, it showed Israel, if you will, that veil's gone. It showed Israel, it's just a dark room. It's empty. God's presence has left. He's no longer there. There's no glory. That's what was revealed when, the again, top to bottom, God rends it. The cross lays all that empty. It's all empty. That's why the Lord will say in Hebrews 10, quoting Psalms there, that uh, burnt offerings and sacrifices you don't want. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 6, And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. The Psalms 40. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hath pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. Get rid of the first. The, 
the if then, the mosaic, and bring in the new. And the new now I'm going to write in it, and it's going to work through spirit and in truth. So the veil being rent, it happened at the cross, but by, it's in the manifestation, the revelation by Paul says, here's how you're going to get into his presence now, and it's by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul doesn't write Hebrews, okay? There's a, somebody else wrote, he, God wrote Hebrews. But Hebrews is written on the back of the truth manifested and revealed by the Apostle Paul. And, and there it is. Now, go back to Mark 15, okay? Verse 39. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out, what did he cry out? He cried out with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. My God, my God, why is it? He, boom, Father, here I come. He cried out and gave up the ghost and said, truly this man was the Son of God. Now think about the centurion here. Again, Matthew's got the centurion and those around him, a group there. This man, two things. He hears the Lord cry out. Now the centurion knows what dying by crucifixion looks like. The design of it was to take two to five days. It wasn't a, it wasn't a quick death. You don't bleed out or any of that. It was a slow death. And then yet, what did he see this guy? What did he see the Lord do? Give up the ghost. So he sees the, 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 the cry of victory, the victorious statement. Okay? He sees him not die like the other ones, everybody else does. He sees the Lord just dismiss himself, bow his head, and dies. Again, that's not normal in crucifixion. And then he sees him give up the ghost. Now, again, Matthew's got the earthquake happening and so forth. But the centurion here, he's, wow, look at this. Now, what's interesting is draw your eye to verse 44. Because Pilate, and so Joseph of America. He wants the body. Pilate, verse 44, and Pilate marveled if he were already dead. Pilate said, that's too fast. He isn't even dead yet. And calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he brought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in the sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock, rolled the stone unto the door of the sepulcher, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. Now, notice, Pilate, there's no way he can be dead, so he calls a centurion. The centurion comes and gives testimony that he is dead. I saw him die. We've gone over there. He's not alive. So literally what the centurion does is he testifying to Pilate provides a government, an official governmental death certificate. Okay? So they have a death certificate, proof that he's dead. Because in, in, in three days, they're going to argue about whether he really died or not. And Pilate's got over here, the official government registry says, yes, he did. So then what does he do? The centurion says, surely 
Truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, why this is important in all of this is because the centurion is a Gentile. And once again, again, Jesus Christ came to redeem Israel, but then through Israel to the world. So at the cross, the centurion is watching all of this, and he's watching Israel, verse 35 and 36, in complete spiritual darkness, no clue as to what's going on. He's watching them, and then yet in verse 39, he said what? Truly this man was the Son of God, was in that he's dead. Again, remember how it all started in Matthew 2 with the wise men, the Gentiles. Here they come. They're asking Herod and the guys, where is he? And, the, and those in Jerusalem, those with Herod tr are troubled by it. They're in complete spiritual darkness, and yet here's the Gentiles ready to go. He's the son of God. He is the man. <laughs> He's the one. At the, end of, at the beginning of his life, at the beginning of his ministry, Israel, no spiritual power, all, no truth in them. At the end, again, the Gentiles are ready. Israel is still in unbelief. There's still the issue. Now you got verse 40. There were also women looking on afar off among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and, and the, uh, the less, and of Joseph and, and Salome, Salome, Salami, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. These are the only folks, only members of the little flock. John is the only man to be standing there. All the other men have left, have fled. And what you see with these folks, verse 41, and many other women which came uh, up with him, uh, I'm sorry, and, uh, they ministered unto him in the parenthesis there. Here are the servants. Here's, here's that faithful little flock. And just like the centurion, the Gentiles are ready, these ladies demonstrate that service to this one is going to come from Weakness and humility and humbleness. And they're ready. They're part of the little flock. They're, here we are. We're here. We're here to the end. In verse 42, And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. Now here you've got Joseph. If you come over to John 19, get a little more detail. These guys are part of the little flock. When it says that, that he was an honorable counselor, uh, John 19 and verse 38. John 19, 38. And, it, and it's key to see this. John 19, 38. Uh, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus. So there's chapter 3. And at the first came, uh, which at the first came to Jesus by night. That's how you know who we're talking about and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes being a hundred pound weight, and they took the body of Jesus and wound him in it in the linen clothes with the spices, 
as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now, the key in that, in those two verses, is the secretly feared the Jews. Okay? But yet, Mark says that he boldly came in before Pilate. So what you see is, you see, jo here's Joseph of Arimathea. He's an honorable counselor. Uh, come over to Luke 23. A little more on John, Joseph. Luke 23. He... What Mark 15 is picturing is something is happening in Joseph's life as he just witnessed the crucifixion of Christ. And he saw the, the suffering, and he saw the proclamation, and he heard the crowd light of the voice. He saw it. There. So, so just with that centurion sitting there going, wow, that was, there's things being confirmed in, with Joseph. Now, if you look at Luke 23... And verse 50, and behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just, just, justified. He's a believer. Nicodemus was a believer. Now, watch 51. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. When it came time to vote to kill the, the Lord, he voted no. See? That's the secret part where John says secretly. He's already made a public declaration of, no, he's a just man. Don't kill him. Now he's over here quietly trying to get to the body of Christ. But Mark says, yeah, but that's fine. But you know what? Bold, when he stood before Pilate, he was bold. He was on fire. Verse 51, he was of America. Uh, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. He's a believer. They, by the way, they take the body, verse 53. Uh, verse 52, this man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it. So, And we see that in, in Mark 15 as well. The only people who ever touched the body of the Lord Jesus Christ after the crucifixion, were, all, were those who loved him. Before the cross, wicked hands held him and touched him. After the, after the cross, after the death, only those who loved him. Uh, back to Mark 15. They take him and they put him, uh, he laid him, in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of, uh, in verse 46, rolled a stone. Um, and there in Luke 23, uh, and in John, it was a tomb where no one had laid. Um, I think it's in John 19. The place where he was crucified. Yeah, John 19:41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher where wherein was never man yet laid. You think about that. It was said that the one who first occupied a virgin womb could be only be, be fittingly placed in a virgin tomb. He saw no corruption. Only the just hands held him. No, no one corrupt dealt with his body. Why? Because what did the Father tell him? You will see no corruption. See, You're not going to do and yet no one in that tomb, no man had laid in there, no corruption of an old body, no stink, no nothing. Boom, there he was. 
Now, when you come back to Mark 4, 15, you see all of this happen. Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. They, they roll a stone in front uh, under the door of the sepulcher, seal it all up. They go home. So they see the, their Lord, their Messiah killed. They see him give up the ghost. They see him seven times speak, go through the whole event. They see him laid. They see the stone rolled. They're, they don't believe in the resurrection yet. They haven't got there yet. Uh, if you come over to John 20, just so you see that. They're going to get there, but they're not there yet. Uh, John 20. John 20 and verse 9. Uh, John 20 verse 9. This is why the angels say, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? Verse 9, he says, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Now, he's told them three times. They just, they don't believe it. It's after the resurrection, Luke 24, that they do believe it. So they go home, excuse me, disappointed, discouraged, worrying about how do we get this done? He's got the stone there. How are we going to get in there? Tomorrow's, could you imagine, it's their Sabbath, and they can't, and it's a high Sabbath. So there's a Sabbath on Friday and Saturday, and, and all this stuff, and they're like, all oh, the, the nerve, we can't get there till Sunday because we can't do this, and they're obeying the rule and everything. And then in 16.1, Mark 16, verse 1, and when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought, bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And, every, and very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And then off they go, and yet when they get there, it's rolled away. For three days, they've been worried about how are we going to get that stone rolled away so we can take care of his body. There, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a discouragement there that pictures the darkness of death and what happens, the, the morning of it. And, they, and they, they're all there. They leave. You've got Israel in spiritual, satanic darkness. You've got the believers in the discouragement of death that only can be answered by the resurrection. And that's where we're going to get into chapter 16, and what happens in chapter 16 is it is literally the battleground in your, in your Bible. All of the modern Bibles leave, verses leave out the last, oh, ten verses, eight, nine, ten verses there from, from verse 9 to the end of the chapter. And the reason they do it, by the way, is because they don't understand how to deal with it. We do. We'll go down through it. And you're off and you run. Mark's that fast. Boom, 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 boom. The rending of the veil, the glory of God's gone. He's gone. Vain, empty, nothing there. In the future, when the Messiah comes back in his second coming and establishes the new covenant, that's one of the components of his second coming, then by the blood we go, we go into the glory, into the presence of the Lord. Millennial kingdom, Temp, there's a temple going to be set up and so forth. The overcomers are the, are the uh, workers in it and so forth. But we're not there yet. We've got resurrection 
and then we've got a commissioning and so forth to happen out. So we'll start 16 next week, okay? A lot of information, a lot of little detail, okay? And again, the veil stuff, just if you think about the veil, it's closed off. They don't know it. One time a year he goes in, it's rent top to bottom, and it shows just a desolate, empty room full of dust and cobwebs because no one's been back there since the Day of Atonement, and the glory of God is gone. And again, the at and the by. I, real quick, just on that, look at Ephesians. Because that at, the two-letter words are very critical in our Bible. Look at Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. And just look at verse 16. Or, or, well, verse 13. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, Jew and Gentile, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Now watch verse 16 and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Notice if it had said at the cross, then when does the church, the body of Christ, start? At the cross. But we know it doesn't. We know it starts with the revelation in Acts 9 with Paul on the road to Damascus. But how is he able to accomplish all this new stuff, verse 13, but now it's by the cross. So what Paul, again, is shining on the cross is here is the deeper, fuller, richer meaning of what Calvary accomplished. For Israel, at, at that moment, God's gone, but in their future, in that new covenant, how are you going to get it done is by the blood of Christ, by the cross. So the ats and the bys are, are, are uh, important. And, uh, yeah, just two little letters. So you have to be uh, careful with that. Um, again, uh, um, as you kind of think about things. So, okay. All right, next week, Mark 16, and we got like a year and a half there. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. It, may, it might be. I don't know. We'll, uh, I don't want to trudge through it and go quicker, quicker than what we did, what we've been doing. But again, Mark is just so blunt, bam, bam, bam. But try to draw out the things that are happening, especially the end of Mark 16, where he makes that that commission here to them, a sub commission, if you will, to them. The Mark Matthew 10 is the great commission. Then the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he gives them additional information to, to do things that they're going to do at specific times in Israel's timeline. Okay, Matthew 28 fits in the millennial kingdom. Mark 16 fits in, in, the, in, in the 70th week of Daniel. Luke 24 and Acts 1 fit right in where, where the aftermath, the early Acts period. John fits into that early Acts period as well as over, you know, so there's a bend here that's, that we'll see as we go through it, okay? It's very, 
And again, most modern-day Christianity has no clue how to handle it. So easiest way is just take it out of the book. Just make the note. The passage from verse 9 to the end is not found in the two most ancient manuscripts, the Sinaitica and the Vatican, and others have it with the partial omissions and variations. But it is quoted by Arrhenius and, and Hippolytus in the 2nd or 3rd century. By the way, all of that's been debunked. So, anyway, that's Schofield's note. But Schofield was, right, was reading somebody else who was reading somebody else, you know. So, anyway. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord. And we thank you for the ability to look into the things here and to see what was happening and transpiring in the greatest moment in human history, the death of, of our Savior. In your name we pray. Amen.